0: Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's Weekly Bible Study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Tonight, this this evening, we're going to be doing something a little different. It's a character study of Joshua. So we're going to be covering a pretty large text, um, a number of different places in the Bible, but the focus is really on an individual, Joshua. And there's three main traits that we're going to be looking at in this study that we see in Joshua's life. That's the example of faith, of courage, and obedience. And we see this um, in Joshua's life. We see this um, throughout the book of Joshua, and we see this even before that, uh, when we'll, we'll be examining in, in the book of Exodus and also in Numbers. And we see in Joshua's life faith, in courage and obedience. There's also a, a contrast that we see, and we see it at times in the nation of Israel, and that's the contrast is in in unbelief, in doubt, disobedience, and in fear. And so we're going to be studying Joshua, and we're going to be looking at those particular aspects in a character study. Um there's a pastor, his name's Alan Redpath. He was the pastor of Moody Church back in the 1950s. And he talked about character studies. And he said, you get to the point when you stop looking at the character and the character starts looking at you. And that's my hope for tonight, that we're not just sitting here trying to learn more about a particular character or learn about facts and and history and things like that. But we are gonna look at this person's life, we're gonna look at these characteristics and, and we hold a mirror up to ourselves and, and we see exactly what's going on with ourselves. Joshua's unique among many of the, the people in the Bible. Among many of the, the heroes of our Old Testament, Joshua, Joshua stands out as quite unique. His testimony doesn't include murder and adultery and deceptions and lies and, and cowardice. We do see Things like that in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we see that in Moses. We see that in King David. But Joshua is, is quite unique. He's certainly not perfect, but he stands out. Joshua was the, uh, from the tribe of Ephraim. His grandfather, Elishama was the leader of the army of Ephraim. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the early years of Joshua, but historians say that he was born in 1355, which would have made him about 40 years younger than Moses. Joshua from the early part of his life, growing up, he would have been living in Israel as a slave. So he grew up in some extremely harsh conditions. But we see in Joshua's life these three traits that that we want to focus on faith, obedience, and courage. Joshua would have been witness to some amazing things. He was standing side by side with the rest of the nation of Israel when he watched God deliver these people out of Egypt with the 10 plagues. He saw some absolutely amazing things. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 14? That's where we'll start in the text. Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. So Joshua would have been there possibly standing close to Moses as they were on the border of the Red Sea as Pharaoh was coming down with his army to attack. Let's pick up in Exodus 14 verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The children of Israel, they doubted God's word. They were full of fear. And they were basically saying, Moses, what's the deal? Did you bring us all the way out here so we could die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why are we out here to die? Why would you do this to us? Now remember, the nation of Israel had already received a promise from God back in exodus you don't need to turn there but Acts in exodus chapter 3 where moses met god at the burning bush god commanded moses to convey a message to the nation of israel this is the message from exodus chapter 3 it says i have surely visited you i've seen what's done to you in egypt i've said i will bring you up out of the affliction of egypt to the land of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the Perizzites, the hivites and the jebusites to a land Flowing with milk and honey. So God had already given this promise. This promise had already been delivered. They knew God was going to deliver them out. They had heard the promise from Moses. God's going to deliver us. So when they're standing on the banks of this of the Red Sea and their hearts melting with fear, and they're saying, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? This is unbelief. This is unbelief. This is fear. And this is rebellion. This is disobedience. God had promised to deliver him, but, but they didn't believe the promise. In Exodus chapter 14, let's pick up in verse 11. They say, Why have you dealt with us so, to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die here in the wilderness. Unbelief... Disobedience and fear. Joshua was there witnessing all of this stuff. He saw everything, all these situations Joshua was there for. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. You guys know the story. Israel walks through on dry land. God instantly destroys Pharaoh's army. Everyone witnesses God's promise being fulfilled. They all witness God's provision. They all witness God's power. They all saw it, including Joshua. Joshua. even though everyone was a witness to these miracles, it's almost immediate that some people in the camp begin to grumble against God. They they begin to complain against God about their situation. They complain because the water's bitter. God turns the bitter water into sweet. He provides for everyone. Promises kept, God's power is displayed. His provision is displayed. Again, they complain about the food. In Exodus chapter 16, flip over a a couple chapters to chapter 16, verse 3. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They had the promise from God. God said, I know what's going on in your life. I know the affliction that you've endured. And I'm going to deliver you." And they witnessed all these miracles up until this point, but yet there's still this heart of of unbelief and of disobedience and fear. God rains down Moses, uh, Moses, no, God rains down manna from heaven. He provides for him once again. He shows that he's keeping his promise, he shows his power, he shows his provision. Joshua saw all this. Now we first hear about Joshua in Exodus chapter 17, which if you could flip over there. Exodus chapter 17, Amalek seems to ambush the nation of Israel out of nowhere as they're on their journey towards the promised land. Moses called on Joshua to lead the army. This is the battle where... Moses went up on the hill with Aaron and her, and as long as he was holding the staff of God up, Israel would prevail. Moses, Joshua was there leading this army. Now, just a a little background. The exodus from, from when Israel left the land of Goshen was around 1446 B.C. And from what I understand, it would have taken about a year for them to get to this place in the wilderness of Paran which is the wilderness just to the south of Canaan, which is where we're going to pick up in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. I know we're flipping around a lot, but we're, again, we're just looking at a particular individual. Flip over to Numbers chapter 13. So about somewhere around a year from the time that they left until they get to this place where they send the spies out, would have been around a year. So pick up in Numbers chapter 13. Now, Obviously, we're skipping over a lot of stuff. A lot has happened between where we just left off in Exodus and where we are here in Numbers. For instance, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments. Um, the tabernacle uh, is constructed. All of the, the laws about s- offerings and sacrifices are given. So lots happened in between where we are um, when they left Israel and where we pick up here in Numbers 13. We're not going to deal with that tonight. We're just going to focus on Joshua. In Numbers 13, this is where we see Moses send out Joshua and the other 11 spies to go and spy out the land of Canaan, the land that has been promised to them. So Joshua, as the head of the tribe of Ephraim, he was one of the one of the spies to go out and spy the land. Numbers 13, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe. their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them." So Moses tells them, you're gonna go out and you're gonna spy out the land. You're gonna see what it's like. You're gonna see what the uh, what the people are like. Are they living in fortified cities? Are they strong? What's what's happening there? And then you're gonna come back and give us a report. So these spies go out and they they wander the land for 40 days and then they return. And they don't return empty handed, they return with some fruit. And they return with evidence that the land, it it really is what God had said it was, it really was the land flowing with milk and honey. They've got this wonderful fruit that they've brought back. But they also brought back a bad report. There were giants in the land of Canaan. These people called the Anak were living in this area. And these people were famous. There was a rhetorical saying that said who can stand before the sons of Anak in other words nobody can stand before these guys you don't want to go to battle with them they are giants these are obstacles that caused most of the spies in this group to doubt God's promises it's unbelief to doubt his power and to doubt his provision and so they came back with a bad report All except for Caleb and Joshua. These two, they believed the promises of God. They had faith in what God had promised. They believed in God's power and they believed in his provision. They trusted him. Let's pick up in Numbers 13, verse 30. Then Caleb, he quieted the people before Moses and he said, Let's go up at once and take possession, for we we are well able to overcome it, but... The men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Annex came came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so were we in their sight. So these 10 spies came back, with a God, with a, came back with a bad report and they caused the entire nation of Israel to doubt God's promises, to doubt his provision, and to doubt his power. The sin of unbelief, to doubt God's promises. This is the opposite of faith. This is a sin that, that sometimes in the church, We toy around with anytime we doubt God's promises anytime we doubt his goodness or anytime we doubt his provision for us we're playing around with this sin of unbelief and what is very difficult is most of us tend to do this and so if most of us tend to be involved in this particular kind of sin then then we kind of look at each other and say well we're all doing it so you know it's it's not really that bad And so, if you see a brother who begins to doubt God's promises or his provision, you kind of come alongside and say, You know what? I do it too. I understand. It's not that bad. Don't worry about it. Charles Spurgeon had something to say about this sin of unbelief. And this has always stuck with me. I'm going to read this quote to you from Spurgeon. He says, Is it not the very summit of ignorance? I'm sorry. Is it not the very summit of arrogance? and the height of pride for a son of Adam to say, even in his heart, God, I doubt thy grace, I doubt thy love, I doubt thy power. And he went on to say, if we could roll all sin up into one mass, murder, blasphemy, lust, adultery, fornication, everything that is vile, and unite them into one ball of corruption, even then, it would not equal the sin of unbelief. He goes on to say, it's the masterpiece of Satan, the sin of unbelief. Unbelief is the sin that kept this entire generation from inheriting the promised land. It's the sin that, that, that caused this entire, the, the group, the men of war that were there on the border of the promised land, they ended up wandering in the desert for the next 40 years because of unbelief. And as Christians, we tend to play around with this sin and, and sometimes we even come alongside each other and say, it's okay. I doubt God's promises too sometime. He understands it's okay. It's the, it's the sin that's guaranteed to keep people out of heaven. John three eighteen. it says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This sin of unbelief is the masterpiece of Satan. I have to remind myself of that. Every time I'm tempted to doubt God's promises or or I'm tempted to doubt God's goodness or I'm tempted to doubt his provision for me, I have to remind myself, you're playing around with the sin of unbelief. You're playing around with the masterpiece of Satan. When I remember that this is Satan's masterpiece, I don't mess around with it anymore. I repent from it. May we all repent from this sin. God had promised Israel the land. It was a clear promise. Moses delivered this promise. He said, guys, this is what Moses has told, or this is what God has told me. He's seen us. He's going to deliver us. He's going to take us to this land flowing with milk and honey. But they doubted it. They doubted the promise. They doubted the provision. They doubted the power of God. This sin of of unbelief, it, it starts in our heart, like basically all sin does that's why Solomon said in the book of Proverbs to guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of life if you put yourself in Israel's shoes though they were facing giants literal giants we, I love this story because we can easily equate it to our lives and we can we can say that these giants are, are like these obstacles in our lives and Um, And it's a great analogy for our lives. So it's not like they had an easy situation. They're literally facing giants. Not only that, but they're in fortified cities. And no one wants to fight these guys. They're terrifying. They were no match for the enemy. But the only thing that mattered was that God had promised the land to them. God had said, this is your land. I'm going to deliver you into it. That's the only thing that really mattered. But the only thing that would have kept them out of this land was unbelief. Let's pick up in Numbers. You guys are in Numbers already, right? Numbers 14, verses 6 through 10. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out, it's exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, and he'll bring us into the land and he'll give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That was the response. It's fairly easy to cause people to doubt. It's, I think, more difficult most times to cause people to have faith. Within the church, when when someone's facing a giant, when one of us is facing a, a massive obstacle, or they're going through a huge trial, we need to be careful what we say to those people, and we need to be careful what we say to ourselves as well. I don't want to be the friend that comes along and says, I, I see that you're grumbling against God. I see that you're doubting his promises. I, I can hear you're, you're saying you doubt God's provision. God's not going to provide for you this time. God's not powerful enough to take care of it. I understand. If I were in your shoes and I was facing your, your trial, I'd probably do the same thing. I understand. It's okay, it's okay to doubt God's power, it's okay. I don't wanna be a friend that does that, it's not okay. It's absolutely not okay to doubt God's power or to doubt his provision or to doubt his love for us, it's not okay. I wanna be the friend that comes alongside with love and encourages that person in the Lord, reminds him of God's power and reminds him of God's faithfulness. And reminds them that God's a good father and he loves you and he cares for you he promises to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose the congregation wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua these people chose to doubt God and God doesn't take this lightly in the next verse God says, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs, which all that I've performed among them? Their unbelief is rejection. They doubted his promises. They doubted his goodness. And in essence, they were rejecting God. Now, as a father, I have just a tiny idea. I I can just kind of grasp a little bit of God's heart when, when it comes to a situation like this. And the way that I, I kind of equate it is um, when my kids were little and they would climb up in a tree and they would get stuck, then they would cry out, Dad, help me, I'm stuck. And I'd go over there and I'd say, okay, listen, jump. And I promise you, I'm going to catch you. I promise you, just jump. And when my kid, when they were young enough, they'd be like, okay, Dad, and they, they jump. And I catch him. And as a dad, watching my son listen to my promise, muster up courage, and he jumps. Oh my gosh, that fills my heart with joy as a dad. You know what I mean? My son trusts me enough for him to put himself at risk, to lose control, and and to jump into my arms because he trusts his dad. That's... I understand a little bit of that as a father, but think about this. If my son climbed up into a tree and he said, dad, catch me. I'm stuck. Help me. And I said, son, I promise you I'm going to catch you. Just jump. And my son goes, you're not going to catch me. In fact, I bet you as soon as I jump, you're going to turn around and you're going to walk off and I'm going to fall out of this tree and I'm going to break my legs. That's what you're going to do. As a dad, if my son said that to me, you know what that would do to my heart? Oh, it break my heart immediately. Son, how how could you think that? I'm your father. I love you. I'm not going to drop you. As a as an earthly father, I'm strong enough to catch my boys. We're talking about the omnipotent, all-powerful God, creator of the universe. For us to doubt his power? As a father, I love my son. I don't, I want to take care of him. I don't want him to get hurt. And I do everything in my power to show him my love for him. I'm going to catch him. Our father, he showed us his love by coming to earth as a man and taking upon himself all of our sins. And he died for us. Not only that, but he, but he rose from the dead. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that, that he would die for his friends. That's how much love God has shown to us. So as as Christians, when we get to that place and, and we're tempted to doubt God's love, we have to remember, God loves me. He loves me so much. This is what he did for me. He died for me. We can't doubt his love. This sin of unbelief is is such a terrible sin and whenever we see it God never comes alongside and says I understand your sin of unbelief it's okay don't worry about it he doesn't respond that way the response is quite harsh the nation of Israel because of their sin of unbelief they spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until that entire generation of men of war died in the wilderness let's turn over to the book of Joshua chapter 1 Now, we remember that Joshua had been a witness to all of this stuff that had been happening. Joshua saw all of it. Joshua saw God's promises fulfilled. He saw God's promises fulfilled. He saw God's power displayed. He saw God's provision. He was witness to all of this. And so what we get to see in Joshua... As opposed to what we would see from time to time in the nation of Israel, in Joshua we saw faith and obedience and courage. These are the traits that that we need to have, these are the traits that we need to encourage in others as well. And, And by the way, this is the kind of thing that you guys have been doing for us as we've been serving in Beling. I get messages from Pastor Ed once in a while and, and from the other pastors here, Pastor Jason, and then the, the kind of things that they say to me is, go for it, man, go. Trust the Lord. Do it, man. Go, go. You can do this. God's with you. Obey His voice. This is the kind of thing that, that you guys are doing to us. These are the encouragements. And it's so important because if, if one of those guys texted me and they said, oh, man, I don't know what you think you're doing down there, but you're probably going to fail. I'd be like, oh, why'd you tell me that? I'm going to fail now. I'm going home. I mean, because sometimes we're, we're on pretty shaky ground. And if, and if I got a bad report or or a bad message and they said, man, I don't know what, what you think you're doing down there, but you know something's not right or what, that could, that could really cause some problems. But when they're like, hey, trust God. He's with you. Don't be afraid. Trust him. Step out, dude. Go, go do it. This is the kind of encouragement we need to be to each other. And we need to be the ones that will, that will correct each other. When, when we're in that place where we start to doubt God's promises or his power or his love or anything, we've got to be those ones that say, brother, he's, He loves you. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt his love for you. He loves you. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the children of Israel. So this is an amazing moment. They had made it from from the time of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Joshua had been witness watching all the men, the men of war, who had doubted God's promise. He watched each one of them die in the wilderness. And finally, he's on the border. He's on the banks of the Jordan River. And he's back at this place 40 years later where he had spied out that land. He's back at the promised land. Pick up in verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is God speaking to Joshua. What a promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. God's saying, don't be afraid. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. This is a promise that God's given to us as well. God's promised us he won't leave us he won't forsake us don't be afraid verse seven only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law which moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it so god commands joshua to be strong and courageous to have faith, to obey his commands, and you'll have victory. And throughout the book of Joshua, we see him exhibit faith, obedience, and courage, which results in victory after victory after victory. I don't think it's wise to be looking for formulas in the Bible all the time, because sometimes we can hear a formula, and sometimes that formula can really trip us up, but... I think this is a pretty good formula. Faith, courage, and obedience ultimately equals victory. I don't think you can really go wrong with a formula like that. Faith, courage, obedience ultimately is going to result in victory. And then on the negative sense, unbelief, fear, and rebellion ultimately is going to wind up in death. Death, eternal separation from God, hell. God promised that no man would be able to stand against Joshua and God was faithful. He kept his promise. God promised that he would be with Joshua, that he wouldn't forsake him. Guess what? God kept his promise. God promised us basically the same thing. In Romans 8, Paul said, if if God is for us, who could be against us? In Hebrews thirteen, so we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper; I will not fear. What shall? What can man do to me?" So battle after battle is recorded throughout the book of Joshua, starting with the battle of Jericho in chapter six. Let's turn there to uh, Joshua chapter six. Actually, sorry, chapter seven. Battle of Jericho, amazing defeat. God is with Joshua. And he has victory over the, over the battle. But in chapter 7, something, something happens. Achan, one of the Israelites, he had disobeyed the Lord. He had taken some of the treasure from the, the battle at Jericho. And so when the, when the Israelites went up against Ai, they were defeated. Look at verse 7, chapter 7. Joshua said, "Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan." Joshua is grumbling. And it sounds a lot like the grumbling that he heard at the banks of the Red Sea. It sounds a lot like the grumbling that he heard when the water was bitter, when there wasn't enough food. Joshua stumbles here, and you can see in his stumbling unbelief and fear and disobedience. Now, if you were Joshua's friend, what would you come alongside Joshua and do? What would you say to him? Hey, Joshua, I know you suffered a major loss. You got 36 people killed. That's pretty bad. I'd probably be on my face grumbling against God as well. Don't feel bad about it, Joshua. That You really messed up. Or would you say, brother, remember God's promises. You remember what God said in his word? You remember he said he'll never leave you? You remember he said he'll never forsake you? Trust him. God's going to get us through this. I know it's not what you expected, but, but trust God. He's going to get us through this. Sometimes not sometimes, I think as, as brothers and sisters in the church, we're very, we're very caring and we're, and we're well-meaning with each other when we come alongside and, and we give that kind of counsel and we say, I, I understand. I understand that you're doubting God right now and it's okay. And, and we're trying to do that with a heart of, man, I don't want you to feel so bad. But as disciples of Christ, we, we can't be toying around with the sin of unbelief. Every time you see it in the Bible... It, it's not good. It's not good for the people who are, who are unbelieving. There's never a time in the Bible when you see someone who's, who's, expli- who's displaying disbelief or, or unbelief in God, and it, and it works out perfectly for him. It, it doesn't work that way. As disciples of Christ, we, c- we can't be toying with that sin of unbelief. Look at how the Lord responds to Joshua in verse 10 get up, why are you laying on your face? If anyone was sleeping there, they were like, whoa, what was that? Was there anybody that did that? So everyone's awake, all right. He says, get up, why are you lying on your face? Israel sinned, this is why you lost the battle. So Joshua deals with the sin in the camp, and he moves on, continuing to trust in the Lord by faith, continuing to display courage, and continuing to obey the Lord. That's the example for us to follow. And God does some of the most amazing things through this person who who believes in the promises of God. He has faith in God. He obeys his command and he has courage to go. And God will do amazing things through us when we have faith, when we trust in his word and when we muster up our courage and we step out to obey him. There's some amazing things that happen in Joshua's life. In chapter 10 of the book of Joshua, Mo- Joshua prays, God, let the sun stand still so I can finish killing all these people. He's fighting this battle. And it, and it says, God heeded the voice of a man and he had the sun stand still. These are amazing things that, that Joshua got to see in his life because of he was willing to walk in, in faith and obedience and, and have courage. Joshua won battle after battle. He was a conqueror. And it makes me think when, when I think about it, in order to be a conqueror, what do you have to do? You actually have to fight. That means you're going to face battles. That means you're going to face trials. That means it's going to be really difficult. The life of a, of a Christian, it, it's very difficult. It's not easy. And that's exactly what Jesus promised us. Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble. You'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. This is the message that Jesus preached. You're going to face trials. You're going to face battles. You're going to have to fight. Pastor Ed, I've heard him say this. He, he says, you, You're either in the middle of a trial, you just got out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. You are going to have trials, you are going to fight. That's what Jesus promised. He didn't guarantee a life of health and wealth and happiness. That's what the prosperity gospel preaches. That's not what Jesus preached. He said, you're going to have trials. It's going to be difficult. But he gave us promises. He promised that he'd never leave us. He promised that he loved us. He promised that he would provide for what we needed. Let's pick up all the way towards the end of the book of Joshua in in chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, chapter 21 of Joshua. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession and they dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Not a man of their enemies stood against them. The lord delivered all their enemies into their hand not a word failed of any good thing which the lord had spoken to the house of israel all came to pass god fulfilled his promise israel had inherited the land god showed his power he showed his provision he showed his faithfulness towards the end of the the last chapter or the last section we're going to look at here is is joshua's farewell address in chapter twenty-four, go ahead and turn over there. Joshua had had fought the good fight; he had finished this race well. He, he kept the faith. That's the kind of person that I want to hear from. I want to hear his farewell address because when when you're giving a farewell address, you know that that the speaker he's 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 going, to tell you, he's going to tell you something important. If this is the last opportunity that, that he has to speak to, to the people, he's going to, tell us, he's going to say something important. He's going to say something that we need to hear. And this is Joshua's farewell address. You guys, I'm sure, know it. Chapter 24, verse 14. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. This is coming from a man... That feared the Lord and nothing else. He just feared the Lord. He didn't fear any man. He didn't fear the the giants. He didn't fear the obstacles. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're dwelt. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying, make a decision. Choose whom you're going to serve and serve him. Don't do it half-heartedly. I did that for 14 years of my life, from the age of 13 until I was... I don't do math now that I'm all nervous. 26 or something? What? 26? Yeah, that sounds right. I I was living with one foot in the world and one foot with God, but not really. I mean, my foot with God was was nothing. I just felt bad about the sin that I continue to do day after day after day. It was horrible. It's a miserable way to live. Joshua is saying, either serve the world or or serve God. Make a decision. If you're going to serve God, then serve Him. Trust Him. If you're going to serve God, trust Him. Don't doubt his goodness, don't doubt his, pro- his promises, don't doubt his provision. Joshua was this great example of faith and courage and obedience and, and God showed Joshua his promises being fulfilled, God showed Joshua his power and God showed Joshua his, pro- his provision as well. Um, when we were getting to this point where we're serving at, at, at the Amazon Valley Academy at the school, we wanted to start this other ministry to, to reach out to the prostitutes. And we found out that it wasn't possible to do this ministry where we were because we work at a school. And so for us to go out and minister to these people and to try to bring them into our church, to, to minister to them, the school said, look, we, you know, this ministry can't really coexist with the school. We've got children here. You know, we have to, we have to look out for this. So, so we realized we couldn't continue that, but we knew God was calling us to do this. And, and so we started praying, God, what are we supposed to do? Do we, do we not do this outreach to, to these people that need to hear that you love them? Or do we, do we step out and go? And uh, I was teaching through the book of Matthew at the time at our church. And I got to Matthew chapter 14, where uh, Jason mentioned, Pastor Jason mentioned it at the beginning for prayer. And, and we were studying where Jesus walks on water and the first thing that he says is, don't be afraid, because they were all afraid. And you know the story. Peter, Peter cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, if this is you, bid that I come. If it's you, call me out. And Jesus said, come. And so as, at that time, as we were studying through, through Matthew, I was praying, God, I don't want to start this church unless it's from you, unless you're calling me out to do this. I don't want to have anything to do with it unless it's you. And, and at that moment, I was studying right there, and Jesus, Peter's, Peter's like, Lord, if that's you, then, then just call me out. And, and Jesus said, come. And that's when God had spoken to my heart, and he's like, come. But he, he made a couple things very clear to me. Because remember when, when Peter steps out of the boat and he takes his eyes off the Lord, he, he looks at the waves, he look at the, looks at the storm. You remember what begins to happen? He begins to sink. And then he, and then he prays the most beautiful prayer, the most eloquent, well-thought-out prayer. Lord, save me! <laughs> and the Lord saves him. I hope I'm not scaring you every time I yell. Are you guys... I saw her go, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and Jesus said something to Peter. And sometimes I, I used to read it like Jesus was like, oh, Peter, why'd you doubt, man? Come on. And, and then over time, I, as I read that, and when I, when I realized what Peter did, what did Peter do? He doubted the Lord. I don't look at it like Peter was like, or Jesus was like, oh, Peter, what'd you do that for? I look at it like, Peter, I told you to come. Why did you doubt? Like that father that would, would be say, hey, I'm going to catch you, jump. No, you're not going to catch me. You're going to drop me. I love you, Peter. Why would why you doubt? And so God was very clear to me when, when we were praying about starting this church, don't be afraid and don't doubt. And that's why this message, uh, this example of Joshua's life is very important to me. As as we begin to step out in this new work, because we're going out from under the relative protection of a mission group that that we had been with for the last two years, and we're out on our own now. And at the time when God was saying, "Hey, yeah, I'm calling you out. Come, let's do this work. I'm going to do this work through you. Don't be afraid and don't doubt." And at the time, I'm like, "I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of nothing. I'll go. I'm not scared." And, and then as time got closer and closer, I'm like, ooh, God, what am I doing? Lord, are you sure? And, and it's so important to me that he showed me this because he reminds me, don't fear, don't doubt. You can't do it. So this example of Joshua is, is so important. We can't doubt the promises of God. We can't be playing around with, with Satan's masterpiece, especially... Uh, disciples of Christ we can't be doing that Joshua's farewell address again he's got one opportunity this last opportunity to speak to the congregation and he tells them the most important thing he could he, he tells them make a decision and and there may be somebody in here that needs to make a decision There may be somebody in here that that, um that has never made a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. So I want to give an opportunity for for anybody in here to make that decision now. As we've seen through the life of Joshua, this 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 walk with God it requires faith. It requires us to trust in what what God has said. And what God has said is that you've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible said, the wages of sin is death. And the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, He's faithful to forgive you of your sins. So I want to take this moment... If we could bow our heads as a church, let's pray. But if, if you were that person that God's calling to, to surrender their lives at this moment, then I just ask you to, to raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. If you've never put your trust in the Lord, if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, then... Now's the time. God bless you. God's addri- or Joshua's address to the to the nation of Israel was: make a decision, choose whom you're going to serve. And those of you that have made your decision, Joshua is saying: serve God. Trust him. Trust in his promises. His promises is this: that if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, He's faithful to forgive you. His promises from Romans chapter 10 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead that you'll be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich toward all who call upon him Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those of you guys that raised your hand just a moment ago, would you please pray this prayer along with me? This is your prayer from your heart to God, and he is listening. Just pray something along these lines. Heavenly Father, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've rebelled. And I I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of every sin that I've committed. And Lord, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you as the Lord. I surrender my life to you. I do believe that you took my sin upon you. You took my sin upon that cross and you died for my sin, but not only that, that you rose from the dead. I believe this. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I, I surrender my life to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Father, as 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 your sons and daughters in here, those of us that 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 have been walking with you, that we may have had those times where we've doubted your promises, you've we've doubted your provision or your power or your love for us. Father, may we we, we repent from those sins. We thank you for forgiving us for these sins. And God, we. We just pray that as we step forward, every time we're tempted to doubt you, Lord, we would realize that we're playing with this sin of unbelief. We're playing with this masterpiece from Satan, and we want nothing to do with it. Father, I do ask that you would do a work in each one of our lives. I pray that that you would change us and that you would send us out. You would use us in a powerful way in our families, in our communities, and wherever you might send us. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.